Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Today we have Dr. Erin Haugen on. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, a sports psychologist in Grand Forks, North Dakota. She's passionate about sport performance, athlete mental health, <laughs> interprofessional practice, and professional well-being. Oh, I just love all of that. Dr. Haugen has a PhD in clinical psychology and is a certified mental performance consultant through the Association for Applied Sport Psychology. She completed her pre-doctoral internship at River Valley Services, Connecticut Valley Hospital in Middleton, Connecticut, and postdoc residency at the University of California, Davis Medical Center in Sacramento, California. She works with athletes from over 20 different sports, from recreational to elite, Olympic and professional levels, and specializes in working with collegiate student athletes. She's employed at the Assessment Therapy Associates of Grand Forks. She is also an adjunct faculty faculty member in the Department of Psychology at the University of North Dakota, and faculty member at Altru Family Medicine Residency. She teaches sports medicine, fellows from family medicine and physical therapy, as well as athletic training students. She provides consultation and mentorship for professionals interested in enhancing their work with athletes or pursuing the CMPC credential. She's also a past president of the North Dakota State Board of Psychological psychologist examiners. <laughs> in her spare time, she competes in triathlons and enjoys camping and hiking with her husband and three border collie mix rescue dogs. Wow. Molly, from and Eddie. <laughs> Which, if you follow her on Twitter, you get super cute pictures. Oh, well. <laughs> I need to, I need That's to a do fact. that. That's absolutely a fact. <laughs> Again, thank you for being on. We're excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you guys as well. Awesome. Well, again, um, well, I love talking to sports psychologists and therapists. So I love to get to know um, or love to find out what made you get into the world of sports psych in the first place. So I have actually always been a very curious person, uh, really just interested in why people do what they do. So that kind of naturally led me to a path in psychology. I grew up in an incredibly rural area of North Dakota and didn't actually know what a psychologist was mm -hmm. until I was in college and my interest like professor suggested that I consider it. I actually was going to go into medical school and become a psychiatrist and she was very quickly like, no, 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 no. What you want to do is a psychologist. So I'm very grateful that she kind of directed me on the appropriate yes. path. Um, and then really, once I started taking the psych classes and, and whatnot, I was hooked. Um, and then naturally, you know, a lot of times in psychology, to do the work that I do, you'll oftentimes need a PhD, especially from the clinical realm. And then basically, after I got my PhD in clinical psychology, the business where I worked and continue to work was actually housed in the same location as team physicians for a local university. So naturally, we would get referrals for student athletes experiencing mental health difficulties, experiencing performance difficulties. And because I was the lifelong athlete of the group, 
they were like, hey, here, have the athletes. Mm -hmm. And which I very quickly realized, although I had the clinical background, I was missing that sport and performance piece. And so I did some investigating to see what would bring me up to speed, took some graduate classes, did supervision with the sports psychologist, and then got my CMPC and um, certification in sports psychology. So I kind of took a roundabout path to working in sports psychology, but I really think my training in clinical work helps me understand the performance piece incredibly well. Um, and then working with athletes really just fits for me. They tend to be a pretty driven bunch, which I'm certainly a very driven person. Um, <laughs> that deserves some laughter, actually. <laughs> We're just uh, laughing because we, we understand. Yeah, yeah I, I tell my clients that that's an empathic laugh that I'm giving right uh -huh, now. So uh -huh. I totally understand empathic, empathic laughter. Um, and, and I'm also always striving to get better as well. So I, I really feel honored that I get to help athletes and performers refine this aspect of their lives and, and to not only performance but overall well-being and and just really create this cool self-understanding to help them be able to navigate their life in a, in a very effective manner mm -hmm. also that makes sense because my question i wanted to ask is you you've done a lot of work doing advocacy breaking mental health stigma mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. in the world of athletic training did that start because you were housed with the sports medicine physicians you are absolutely correct i, I like to joke that that Becoming a sports psychologist in a way kind of happened accidentally. Um, so the the real so how I got more um, in line working with athletic trainers is actually one of my colleagues uh, was going to give a presentation on anxiety to the sports medicine group. And he had a conflict and wasn't able to do it. So my boss asked me if I would do it. And the joke kind of is that, that I needed to stop and think about it because it was at 7 a.m. in the morning. And I'm oh. not a morning person <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Uh, <laughs> Athletic trainers are an early rising yeah, month. I give are. them so much credit. Like, it's not my jam. But <laughs> uh, so, so I actually decided that I, I would go ahead and do it and present it on mindfulness, actually. And this would have been, gosh, probably over 10 years ago. Wow. And so it was really before mindfulness was popular in sports. Mm -hmm. But but I, I kind of naturally saw some overlap about, you know, how being mindful and intentional could be effective for, for athletes and, and other performers. Um, and then basically after the talk, I just stuck around and spoke with them because I was at work well before I would normally be at work. So I had some time. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Might as well chat with my colleagues. Uh, and, and really, we just talked a lot about their work and needs as, as athletic trainers. Um, they were really aware that they were navigating mental health difficulties, but that was pre- um, the movement in sports to really focus on, on athlete mental health and certainly pre the NCAA best practice movement that came out in 2014. And, and so, you know, they would just ask questions about how do we even have those conversations with them? How do we even refer them? What does therapy even look like? And, and so, uh, you know, I think it was really just fortunate to be have access to a bunch of professionals who were really forward thinking and, and really attuned to their athletes and recognized their athletes had needs that they weren't entirely sure how to meet. And then it just basically grew from there. I, I had colleagues of theirs reach out to me from other locations, just started doing a lot of presenting for sports medicine departments, um, you know, locally, nationally. And, and I think it, it's just a really, really fun aspect of my job. Um, I've always worked in interdisciplinary fields and I, I often joke that I can't just work with psychology. <laughs> I love my psychology colleagues. My husband's a psychologist. I'm a psychologist, love them, but I need more disciplines in, in my world. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think, that other piece that, that I often talk with um, other disciplines about 
it's also not, it's not only providing good care to the athletes that we work with, but it also helps our own professional well-being. Because when we start to butt up against edges of our, our area of a competency um, or kind of start to get to a realm where we're not necessarily in our scope of practice, it's really helpful to have good colleagues on board that we can refer to, that we can consult with, mm-hmm. because that not only helps, like I said, our athletes, but it helps our own professional well-being to know that we're staying in our lane and, and doing what we need to do to take care of our um, others and, and ourselves. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to be able to do the work that I do. And, and I often, you know, joke with them that I'll nerd out for hours about these things. Yeah. So have to kind of steer me away. And, and <laughs> But the athletic training bunch is a super receptive bunch mm-hmm. because they're 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 doing the work. They're you know athlete. They're so embedded in the the sports teams and such an important part to to sports that anything that I can do to help empower them and and help their understanding in their work with athletes, I'm I'm so blessed to to be able to do that. Have you found they're pretty open to wanting to talk about mental health? I mean, athletes have such mm-hmm. access to athletic trainers, right? That they're yes. they're getting that. Have you noticed that we want to learn, we want to figure it out, we want to be a resource? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That they're 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 such a receptive bunch, and they're they're such a practical bunch too. So so that was a little bit you know moving out of psychology. We we tend to talk about things very theoretically, so that that actually really helps kind of refine my own speaking and, and presentation style that, you know, let's help them figure out practically what can they do? How can we break down this mental health information into actionable chunks that they can use? Because they are having these conversations and they want to be able to do them in a very productive, ethical, helpful manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. And I, I love how you said the whole interdisciplinary. I've joked that, you know, moving from team sport, playing basketball, which I think you did too, right? I did, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> That that's almost what this feels like is like having my team to work mm-hmm. with. I don't like doing it alone. Yeah, so that's, there's something to that. Huh? Is on uh-huh. that uh-huh. moment. <laughs> we love your view of negative mindset and talk. Can you elaborate a bit for us on that and give our listeners some tips to overcome some of that that negative talk and mindset, please? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, this is certainly an integral part of my work with athletes and, and, and really actually part of being a human, I think, is being aware of our own self-talk. And, and a lot of kind of my approach comes from a basis in cognitive behavioral therapy um, with a couple of, I think, kind of unique spins, but but really kind of focusing on the ABC model. So basically the, the A is the adverse event or activating event, which for athletes is typically making a mistake or experiencing an outcome that we didn't want, mm-hmm. having a time, um, you know, missing a shot, you know, things that are disappointing to us. And then that will trigger a belief, which typically has a thinking error that contains a strong negative emotional connotation. So for example, I should have taken that last shot or I should have started my kick in that race sooner. And then that will trigger the consequence, which is often difficult emotions like shame or embarrassment and then behaviors from wanting the emotions to stop. So withdrawing from others, not wanting to talk about what happened, shutting down, and then it can lead to this vicious cycle um, that, that we can just get really stuck in the suck of, of negative mindset and negative self-talk. And, and so one of the things that I first noticed in working with athletes and, and really high performers in general, I think we're, we're so driven that we aren't necessarily aware of this process. We just keep doing and producing and achieving So what happens a lot of times is high performers and athletes will oftentimes just be aware of the poor performance and feel like it just happens to them and and aspects of that are out of their control. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they'll just be like, well, I have to work harder. And and really, 
I work a lot with athletes and working smarter, not necessarily harder or mm-hmm. directing our energies in a way that really is productive. Um, you know, so my goal with, with the whole thinking is to get them to slow down the process and really kind of, I, I joke about being scientists about our experience. And, but, but I think having this kind of nerdy scientific approach is not only kind of how I approach life in general, cause I'm a total nerd, but also, <laughs> <laughs> but, but also kind of remove some of that judgment that we can have when we're trying to analyze our own behavior and our own thoughts and our own feelings. And so, you know, a really important part is, is taking that non-judgmental stance, which is super hard when we're not excited about what happened when we're sometimes in sh- we've feel shame or embarrassment. And so I really dive in with athletes to help them understand, well, what contributed to your decision to not take that shot? Or why do you think you didn't you know, do the kick in the last hundred as hard as you wanted to. And, and the whole goal of all of this is thinking about things in a more balanced manner. There, there's a lot of misconceptions, unfortunately, in sport about, you know, we just need to think positively, just think, you know, think mm-hmm. positive thoughts and positive things will happen. And, and certainly, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily advocate for thinking negatively, (laughs) but also thinking about things from an overly positive manner isn't necessarily fair, effective, or or true either. So it's about being effective in this middle ground where it's not overly negative, it's not overly positive. And I I think sometimes telling people, you know, just being positive, if you're thinking negatively, that doesn't fit. So you're just going to discount this whole mindset thing anyway. Mm -hmm. So, So being able to find a help them find that middle ground is so important because that middle ground helps us respond and not react to what's going on. We can be intentional. We can kind of really think through why am I going to do what I'm doing? What's going on for me? What do I need right now? And then, you know, part of that dive is also understanding their feelings and their uh, contribution to the overall picture. I love that because when they stay curious, Mm because we know that athletes tend to be perfectionistic, which means they tend to think black or white. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm that makes them step out of that box because they have to think of different approaches or why that went wrong. So I love that. I think, I mean, we do this anyway as a population, like stay positive, stay positive. And that's not actually being mindful of what else is going on in there. Right. Right. Like when you've missed five shots in a row, you ain't thinking positive. (laughs) Right. Right. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Don't think that that's going to be mood congruent at that moment. Right. No, we're we're not like, yay, I'm on the bench. So excited. And and part of that working with athletes, it's kind of fun. We can kind of joke about that. Like no one's going to think positively in that moment. I mean, Maybe, but I think the odds are pretty statistically unlikely. And so, you know, just even getting them to notice, yeah, that, that stinks sometimes. That's okay. We can have difficult feelings. That That's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just data. You know, I often tell clients, you know, emotions are just physiological sensations that we assign meaning to. And they kind of look at me like, what yeah. in the world? But <laughs> if you really think about it, that's what it is. It, it's just they have meaning, they have importance, which is good. We want emotions to be a part of our life, but it's about changing that relationship with our emotions and, and saying, yeah, that, that sucked or that was hard or I'm disappointed. And how am I going to respond to that? What am I going to do differently? And that, you know, kind of effective thinking is kind of acknowledging that difficulty, but then also saying, and here's what I'm going to do, because by focusing on what we're going to do, that kind of gives us a roadmap for how am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to solve this? What's that process that I need to focus on to give me the outcome that I'm ultimately wanting. Action. Action. Mm -hmm. Do you have kind of reframing for the athlete that comes in for the first assessment and they're one of those shooters? Like I should have done this. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. have done that. Like how do you, how do you get them out of the shooter? 
Wait, that's yeah. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. I like it. I like it. So what is, especially with the shoulds, and I and I borrowed this from one of the, the psychology students that I was supervising about 10, 15 years ago. She would tell her clients, you know, you should stop shooting on yourself. Mm-hmm. And and, yeah. and so I, I use a lot of humor in my office and, and they'll usually stop and be like, What did you just say? And I'll say it again and they're like, Oh okay. <laughs> and so, you know, what I'll usually do is just say, okay, you know, you have some kind of thoughts and ideas and judgments around not doing that, which is totally fair. Let's put that on the side for a little bit. And let's be curious about why didn't you, what do you think that was about? Well, gosh, I was scared. I was going to miss and coach was going to be mad at me and he was going to bench me. Okay. So it sounds like maybe some fear might've been driving that or, you know, fear of failure or fear of making a mistake or, um, you know, maybe there there's parts of their game that aren't just as refined and they didn't notice it. And, and sometimes, especially at first athletes and I will, you know, we'll kind of have to revisit and kind of remove some of that judgment. And they're like, well, but I should, okay, hold on. Let's put that on pause and, and kind of talk to them about this is about training our mind, much like we're training our body physically and just kind of let's just work on staying in that non-judgmental curious space. You can be frustrated with it, but, you know, beating ourselves up unnecessarily about it can just get us stuck even more. Mm-hmm. Love that. True. Mm-hmm. Well, Erin, mm-hmm. um, again, thanks so much for being on. These are great tips for a lot of our listeners and our athletes out there. Mm-hmm. We also want to ask, like we do every interviewee, <laughs> how you live out the fit philosophy of seeing clients and doing your work um so how do you playing balance with the pups. playing with the pups yes yeah. <laughs> always part of the answer i think yeah it's part of the answer balancing performance health intellect and taking time for self absolutely no i i, I love the, the the fit process because this is literally how i approach my life it's it's so cool um you know so from the performance piece i'm i'm so driven to pursue performance in all realms um, i'm a i'm a total sucker for an efficient well-designed process like i nothing gives me more happiness than that uh, so i'm constantly checking in with myself and refining how things can be better and i love feedback so i'm constantly integrating that into my self-perception and processes but as a driven person, part of better is also getting better at resting and doing nothing, which tends mm-hmm. to be my strongest growing edge. And that really kind of fits in with health and, and, and self, um, self-time. But because I think, you know, working with really driven people, we want to do, do, do and go. So part of, you know, I, I, one of my friends is a triathlon coach and, and her main thing is a rest day is a rest day. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't mean go run five miles. That means rest and that means take it easy like do resting well so I really try to kind of be intentional about what am I trying to accomplish and to do that well um when I think about health it's certainly you know probably no surprise that I think about it in both physical and mental realms um you know so I am I'm a triathlete and a dog mom to three border collie rescue dogs (laughs) so there's (laughs) lots of movement in my day um, sometimes it's training, other days it's walking or playing with the pups. And, and, you know, part of that is also making sure I feel my body appropriately for, to sustain my life activities with, with good fuel and, and stuff like that. Um, mentally it's, it's doing things to help me stay centered and, and really be who I am. I like to joke that I'm a people pleaser in recovery. So it's, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's really important to me that I identify and live out my values. And, and so, you know, part of that is knowing, you know, when, when we're ourselves, 
some people are when I'm myself, some people aren't going to be drawn to me. And that's totally okay. You know, I often joke that I, I use the word awesome way more than most professionals do. <laughs> awesome. I love it. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Professional presentations. I've been known to drop the awesome bomb. There's dog pictures in every presentation I give, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that really speaks to a demographic. I will tell you that that totally oh, yeah. does. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but some people are, are really turned off by that. And that's totally cool because by being ourselves we, and by being myself, I really get to connect with people that, that really fit with who I am and, and, you know, kind of have that same perspective or that same drive in, in that same way. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and I think it's also embracing, you know, I love being busy, but it, I'm working really on saying not right now to projects mm-hmm. and recommending others that I know will do a fantastic job and really try to live out what I encourage other people to do, which is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I it love is. to do yeah. things. I love to be helpful. Um, so being able to just kind of make sure I'm living my values and, and, and whatnot is really important. Um, intellectually, I, I read so much. Oh my goodness. I, I, I joke about my husband is probably going to do an intervention on me with books because I'm like, Hey, I bought That's five more Kara books. Yeah, that is me. <laughs> I'm reading like five right now. Right? Can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> so many books, mm-hmm. so much nerdiness and I love it. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so I, I make sure I protect that time and, and, and then time for myself. You know, what, what a lot of people actually don't realize and, and sometimes will actually argue with me about is I'm a huge huge introvert. I need a lot of self time or couch time as I call it. I love people. I love interacting with people, but I really recharge mm-hmm. in time for myself. And and so, you know, part of that is just chilling out. This is where my pups come into play. My my first dog, Molly, she's actually a therapy dog who comes to work with me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she is the most chill dog on the planet. And she has absolutely helped me to be mindful and slow down and, and just be present and kind of check in with myself, which is awesome. And, you know, like I said, the pups are a huge part of time for self because when you have three dogs, who have needs and I'm a huge <laughs> dog person they let you know when they need walkies oh, yeah. and Molly mm-hmm. whap her tail and she's like mom seriously like my walk is delayed this is mm-hmm. unacceptable so <laughs> I know what time it is uh-huh. right exactly that's actually our phrase that we use before before they feed we feed them and so then all there's all sorts of dog rambunctiousness when we say that I won't say it now because they're in the room with me and we'll freak out <laughs> <laughs> right Mickey. yeah no kidding right? <laughs> And if they don't appreciate <laughs> pup or baby pics, then they're not your people anyways. That's right. Right? I don't trust right? a person that doesn't like dogs. Uh-uh. I mean, there's something about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. more of that. Keep yeah. It <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> that well, will not be a problem. <laughs> well, Erin, it was such a delight having you on. Um, and we really appreciate it. And we'll put some links so they could follow you on social media and see the pups on there. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Very cool. And you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. And I thank you so much for having me on and keep doing your awesome work. You guys Aww. are such a great part of the podcast community. I'm very fortunate to have you guys as a resource. So thanks for doing all the stuff that you do. Oh, Today's episode so is brought one. to you Bye, by Bye. yours truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.back.com. McCombell.com to find out when the release date is set and when it'll be on Amazon. Bye, Queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag Fit for a Queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen.
Bye, queens.